This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I know you'll be alright, even when times get hard. And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. I want to take a quick second to thank all of you for listening to that solo episode last week. It was way harder to do than I expected. As somebody who happily puts all cards on the table, like I do so without feeling vulnerable or exposed most of the time, I struggled through that one way more than I thought. And I think really the, my main issue with it was making sure that I was providing value to you and not just telling my story. And I think I needed like more validation than I normally need for doing anything. And not that I needed it, but I've heard from a bunch of you that it has been really helpful. And when I was kind of in the thick on Friday after releasing it in the thick of like, oh, should I have put that out? Is it clear? Was my message clear? Did I ramble? Did I serve anybody? I got a message that, you know, basically confirmed that you or some of you at least understood it completely. You understood the dichotomy between needing help, wanting help, not knowing that help can look different ways, the struggle of heartbreak, the struggle of just life. So I just want to thank anybody who took the time to listen to such a personal share. I know it's my podcast, but I kind of got used to having guests on and I don't know if you want to hear from just me sometimes, but I do love that I have this platform to provide that. Uh, should I see a need or should you tell me there is a need? Anyway, I just wrapped up a tarot card reading with Jessica Stone. She's on Instagram at Jessica Stone underscore co, C-O. And I know most of you are like rolling your eyes. The first time I heard of tarot, I was too, and I certainly didn't believe in it. But I serendipitously met Jess two years ago at an event where she pulled a card or two for me 
for free. And it was right before I created Fork the Noise, my online programs that have really become my life work in the last few years. And the cards were just like perfectly in line with where my energy was. And I understood what tarot was versus what I thought it was. So you don't, you know, pull cards and learn about your future in that specific way that I guess I thought it would provide. If you listen to the episode on even psychic work with Floor, even that was eye-opening. Like psychics don't do what I thought they do as well. And she just is like, you know, when you work with any type of healer, they need to match your energy. And for me, Jess is just like always on the money. And that being said, I had never paid for her services before. It was just an event. So this past week or two, the best way to kind of describe my inner state is just a bit overwhelmed. I have a lot of decisions to make when it comes to my pregnancy, baby, what comes after the baby. And I have been struggling with a lack of clarity as to all of that, struggling to make decisions. Do I want a home birth? Do I want a hospital birth? If do I want a midwife? If I do a hospital birth, what is best for me and best for baby? And they're kind of big decisions because the experience is one that I really care about. And I want to reflect the type of energy that I want to, you know, bring this baby into the world with. I mean, I feel like every angle of my life just had a bunch of question marks on it. And I hope to share that with you in hopes of we can be authentic in our lives and still go through periods of uncertainty. And as long as we don't make decisions out of fear or fear to grow, I think that we're still being just as authentic. And there's always going to be this waiting period and these periods of self-doubt and insecurity and fear to make the right choices. But the question is, how long do we stay there? Do we ask for help? So this week I asked Jess for help. And I won't go through the entire thing with you, but I took notes and you basically pull cards on different areas of your life. So it's all about me and my energy. So me, my energy, when it comes to work, when it comes to my husband, when it comes to this baby that's on the way, when it comes to my family or anything really that is going on in your life, those are the few things that I kind of worked on. So I just wanted to share the first card that I pulled was an ace of wands. And this one represents a beginning of a new cycle. And the action, the advice for what to do here is to wrap up that old version of me, tie up loose ends, be deliberate in creating what comes next. And that felt super fitting for me. It's hard to enter this new phase of my life and say goodbye to some of the things that no longer serve me. But it's validating to hear somebody who doesn't know any of these things going in my head say it's okay to leave maybe things, maybe people, maybe different ways of doing life behind. And just wow on that one. I also pulled for work and I got the nine of pentacles, which she basically says, you know, I can't not fail. So with knowing that, give myself permission to take risks and do what aligns with me. So that was pretty exciting for me. And she said, the best way to activate that. So to figure out what that is, is to make space for something new, which is going to involve letting go of something old. So as you can see, it's vague, but 
I could already start to apply it to my subconscious that was kind of in a fearful mode. So in order to make space for something new that's brewing in this new cycle of me, I need to remove something. And figuring that out is obviously part of my life. But we did come up with some ideas that are pretty exciting for me. It took me a minute to kind of swallow it. I was a little resistant to it, but even just 15 minutes ago, I just had this session. I'm already like, okay, actually, this might be the direction that I should move in for the near future, that being said. I also pulled on my life as a public person. It's something that I struggle with, especially as of late. It was always very obvious for me that being in the public eye is easy, effortless, fun, something I enjoy. And I guess the questions have started to brew in the past year or so when the energy of the internet changed a lot. <laughs> I've gone through some big life changes and having that all visibly on display for people kind of steals some of the magic from me at times. So for me, it's like, okay, what do I do? Do I be in the public eye or do I not? Especially with new baby on the way, who is Lisa the mom? Does she want to be in the public eye? Does my baby want to be in the public eye? And the answer that I got was really helpful, which the card that I pulled for that was the world card, which represents wholeness and acceptance. So basically just told me that it can't not be. I'm meant to show up publicly in one way or another. But how do I find peace within that is part of my work. So we pulled another card to figure out how to find peace within that. And I pulled the five of cups and it basically represents that I need to stay in the clean energy of what I do. So that doesn't mean that there's not darkness in the space of being a public eye or social media or all of that. It just means it's there, but it's not part of my work and it's my choice to lean into the fullness and the light. And that speaks to me a hundred percent. I can do that. I feel empowered. That actually makes me feel excited to be in the public eye, realizing that like I have a choice to bring a different energy, to avoid different types of energies as well. And yeah. It felt really good. And then the last one I'll share because it's getting a little bit lengthy is I pulled on work motherhood balance. That's obviously something that scares me. I've never had to change anybody's diaper or feed them or have my schedule revolve around another person. I'm very independent. I like that my day kind of flows at weird hours. And I pulled the three of cups, which represents that the baby is actually here to support me. It's my choice, but the baby's supported and the baby will balance and empower my my female energy to go out in the world and do something awesome. So, you know, I don't have mom guilt yet, but I imagine it would come. And I'm sure a lot of moms do feel that way. Like, how do I leave my baby? But so many of us do have other things to do in the world in addition to being a mother. So that one was super validating for me. All right. I just wanted to share those few with you just to give some insight into what tarot is and also open your mind up perhaps to the different ways that we can ask healers for help. Our next episode is with Allison Fallon, who teaches us all about writing. So if you think that you're not a writer, I encourage you to listen to this episode because just like this tarot card reading was incredibly healing for me today and provided me with a lot of clarity, writing can be a tool for any of us. You don't need to be a writer. You don't need to be good at writing. You don't need to show your work to the world, but taking a pen to paper can definitely be a way to stay authentic to who you are and get clarity so that all of your choices in life reflect who you want to be. Let's jump into this episode. I love you all so much. 
Welcome back, Truthiest Life fam. Today we have an amazing guest. It's my friend Allison, who is an amazing author, and not just an author, but somebody who teaches other people how to write. And she believes in the power of words to heal and change your life, and most importantly, help you use writing as a tool for personal growth. And that's why I'm super excited to talk to Allison, because when it comes to learning how to live our authentic lives, the more tools, the better. And writing is one that can be so great, but also have a couple of roadblocks to getting started. So thanks so much for being here. So excited to chat with you. My pleasure. I'm so excited for this conversation. So uh, let's start off with just like a remarkable fact about you that I recently learned. (laughs) Okay. Is it true that you used to only eat 10 foods without getting sick? Yes. But now you can eat any food, pretty much? Any any food. What's the story? We need to know. The fi- <laughs> Well, the final food for me was gluten. I slowly reintroduced foods and wasn't able to reintroduce gluten. And then some magic combination of the meditations that I was doing and writing and pregnancy, suddenly I'm able to eat gluten again with no problems. Ooh, so that wow. is the most recent reintroduction. But I was 18 years old when I first started experiencing symptoms and was rushed to the ER a couple of times because I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I was having like sharp shooting pains in my chest area and in my back. And the only thing I could think to tell people was it felt like I was digesting needles or knives or something. It was like sharp pains, like in my intestines that that might not even be true, but that it was in my intestines. But that's, as I was trying to explain it, that was all that I could think of. Long story short, it took me like you know, six or seven years to even get a diagnosis. When I finally got the diagnosis, it was what they call dietary fructose intolerance, which is your body's inability to break down the fructose molecule, Mm. which means anything with high fructose corn syrup in it, I couldn't eat, which isn't such a bad thing, except you also can't have any fruits or most vegetables. So that was the first thing the doctors told me to do were to cut all of these foods out of my diet, which I did obediently. And the symptoms went away. Then I started working with a naturopath who was like, hopefully this doesn't have to be the reality for you forever. Like I couldn't have anything with tomatoes in it. So that cuts out like any spaghetti or pasta or anything with pasta sauce, lasagna. Like she was the one who recommended that I cut out gluten to see if I could reintroduce some of these other foods. So anyway, I could talk for hours and hours about this. I don't need to, but as I walked down the path of emotional healing, I found that a lot of the physical symptoms I was experiencing were connected to emotional wellness and mental health. And slowly but surely I've been able to reintroduce all these foods and eat them again. And gluten was like the final cherry on the cake for me. So just to kind of back up for a second, are you able to share what was going on when you were 18, like lifestyle wise that were there any stressors that stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, I had, I have a major childhood trauma that took place early on in my life over the course of a couple of years that I wasn't in touch with consciously. I was not thinking about this at 18 years old, but I think that at 18, as you're starting to step out of your nuclear family, your home life into the big world. I was going to college. um, But even if you're not going to college, you're just really trying to figure out like who you are and what you're going to be in the world. Something about that experience really triggered these old memories for me. And crazily enough, at 18, like I said, I was not consciously in touch with what had happened to me. The first time that I spoke it out loud, I was 25 years old or maybe 26. So it was years of trying to figure out what was going on with me, seeing therapists. I was pretty heavily medicated for anxiety and depression for a while, and it was a long journey. 
of healing. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like for a lot of people, like you said, you don't have to go to college for that path to end. Like after 18, the the path ends, like the path of high school ends. And most people, you know, have to either get a job or leave their leave their nuclear home and do something new. And there's expectations. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with that big life change at around 18. And sometimes big stuff can kind of like surface, but can surface so subconsciously that it's kind of killing you slowly unless you bring it to the consciousness, which is so hard. Were you writing at that time? I mean, I was, but I was writing intermittently. I was mostly self-medicating with alcohol and I would say drugs, but that's not really true. I mean, I was like smoking pot here and there. I felt like really rebellious for doing that, but (laughs) I, I was like drinking a lot in a way like my husband and I have this conversation because when he thinks of like his wild and crazy years where he was like going out drinking, he has these really positive memories of that time. Mm -hmm. Like, so glad I got that out of my system. That was so fun. We, I had a great time with my, with my guys, like going out on the town and drinking. My drinking memories are not like that. My drinking memories are dark because there was this unidentified trauma happening with me and I was really acting that out and living it out. And because the alcohol would cut me off from my conscious thinking, it would provide me like a moment of relief in a way. Mm -hmm. But then I would wake up the next morning and realize that in my drunkenness, I had been acting out my trauma. So then it was like, I constantly had things to feel embarrassed about and to hide from. And it was a really dark time in my life. You know, I've gone on and off with alcohol. It's not like I don't abstain from alcohol permanently, but I do go through seasons where I give it up for periods of time. Mm -hmm. And for me, my relationship with alcohol has changed Mm -hmm. significantly, but I'm really glad that time in my life is over. And I think, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast. We have a lot of people on who have come from addiction. Just the week before that we're recording this episode, I did a personal episode where I talked about mental health and my relationship to alcohol. And one of the things I said is that when I was really working through some depression, I woke up like surrounded by bottles. And it was the first time in my life and the only time in my life that I had used alcohol in a non-fun celebratory way. And it was such a moment of escapism for me. So it's like, you know, your husband was doing it to amplify his fun years and live in that moment higher, you know, whatever. And the same exact action can be a way to run far from yourself. So it's just fascinating and interesting that like we can't demonize the behavior, but we have to take a second to really ask ourselves, why are we doing this? How are we doing this? Is it supporting ourselves? So were you a writer before that? Like, have you just been sitting on this talent your whole life? Writing has always been the place where I go that I feel like I can tell the truth that I can't tell in other parts of my life. So a big piece of this is for me growing up in the evangelical Christian church. And I felt like there were a lot of questions I had that I wanted answered that I didn't feel that I could ask in this space. There were a lot of things I was wrestling with that I didn't feel like I could talk about a lot of ways that I had to hide. Some of this is around my trauma and some of it is just around being human. So writing was always the place where I would go to process that stuff. And I would write journal entries. I would write poetry. I would scribble meaningless notes on a piece of paper. I would write on, you know, like in composition notebooks, I would write in my binder, like in high school, I'd be like in geometry class, not paying attention, like writing a poem in my, in my notebook. It was a thing that I did that provided a sense of relief 
you know, I've heard other people talk about whatever form of art that they use to kind of metabolize their own pain and understand their own life. And writing was definitely that for me. So it's always been like the friend that was always there. And in the beginning, when I first started teaching other people how to use writing for personal growth, I was really worried that I was like, maybe just pushing my art form on other people because, you know, I was like, this has been so important for me. So maybe I just feel like I need to get other people to do this. But the longer I've done it, the more I realize most people people have a hidden urge to write something down, whatever that looks like for them. And there's something that's getting in their way of doing it. It's an incredibly human instinct to want to record your thoughts and ideas on a piece of paper. Yet so many of us don't do that. So why are we fighting that instinct? (laughs) Our biggest obstacles are mental obstacles. We've been handed down these ideas about Mm. who is a writer and what it means to be a writer that are all handed down to us from culture. And if you think about it, that's really born from this place of only certain groups of people are worthy of being educated. You know, for a long time, like women weren't educated, women weren't allowed to learn to read, you know, people of color, marginalized communities didn't have access to resources to learn to read or weren't allowed to or whatever. And so we have these ideas that there's like this elite group of people who are trained as writers, and they're the ones who ought to be writing down their ideas and sharing their ideas with the world and the rest of us. Well, we just aren't real writers. But when you play this out, it becomes incredibly problematic. It's the reason why we have history books that leave whole communities out of the books altogether Mm -hmm. because you have the privilege and the luxury of writing about a period of time in history from only one perspective and not sharing other perspectives. So I think the fact that we're living in a time period in history and in culture where, you know, all of us have access or most of us have access to a device that we can hold in our hands where we can quickly type out a few words and quote unquote publish those words to the public Mm -hmm. is like so incredibly important and timely. It means that no longer does one small group of people have the privilege of recording their version of historic events. We all have a voice. And I think what I want to do is help people use the voice that they have. We saw that, you know, in 2020 with everything that went on racially. And I think that social media had a huge role to play in that because suddenly, like you said, you didn't need to write for the New York Times to get your voice out. If you were upset about something, if you saw injustice, you could hit publish and if you could, you yeah. know, express emotion that got through to people, not by being a good writer, by being a good human being, you could mm. really help people see things differently than the way they saw it before, which created, you know, this huge ripple effect. So I think it's so interesting what you said applies to the huge shift that we've gone through in the past year. And not, not just shift, radical step forward, I, th- I think. I mean, yeah, for I, I hope agree. so, at least. I agree. <laughs> And it's not going anywhere. So, you know, we're just going to have more ways to communicate more quickly and giving more people access to speak their minds. So Mm -hmm. it's super interesting. I just want to ask one more question about your your food allergies. Did writing help you to overcome that in any way? Or was that a separate part of your life? No, it was definitely one of the tools in my tool belt that I used. I mean, I was encouraged to write from a few of the therapists who I saw. And because writing was already something I was drawn to and was already part of my practice, it wasn't a hard sell. Mm. I was journaling regularly about things that would happen to me. And she, this, this one therapist that I'm remembering in particular, she suggested that I start to write about those moments in time when my food allergies would flare up or they would be particularly frustrating. Mm. What that process did for me, and this is predictable based on the data that I now know about the writing process, but what that process did for me is it started to help me see the clear connection between what was happening with my body physically and what I was feeling emotionally. So for example, 
in a moment when I would turn down an invite to go with my friends to dinner because I'm like, it's pointless for me to go to a restaurant for dinner because I can't effing eat anything on the menu. Mm. And I have to like, I have to order like a plain piece of chicken cooked with nothing on it, no oil, no nothing, like a side of spinach and some water. And I'm going to pay $20 and sit there and feel like an idiot the whole time because everyone else is like enjoying themselves and having fun and I can't eat anything. So I would write about that experience about feeling isolated and, you know, feeling lonely and feeling like no one really understood what I was going through. And I'm like, oh, these are familiar feelings that have been around for a really, really long time that are actually tied to some of the deeper traumas that I'm working through in therapy. So, Mm. you know, having this experience from childhood that I felt like no one really saw me for who I was. No one really understood what I had gone through. I was sort of invisible and missed like this terrible thing had been happening to me for years and no one in my family knew about it or noticed that anything was going on with me Mm. or questioned anything. So that feeling of being invisible, like no one understands you, no one knows what's going on with you. I was like reenacting a circumstance that would repeat that feeling for me. And I truly now believe I was doing that so that I could find healing. Mm. Because if you don't repeat that feeling for yourself, you don't know that it's there. But because I I was able to see that it was there, it is like the raw materials that help us manifest our new reality. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I really truly believe that like the things in our life that we are most frustrated by, there are access points. Right. To a new reality. 100%. And that's what this podcast is kind of about. It's about finding those hard moments and um, giving them a microphone or airtime or letting them surface so you could find out what's really there or what what's there to teach us. So the fact that you're saying writing can be a method to access these points that are kind of inaccessible for some of us, you know, deep trauma, or maybe you won't don't consider what happened to you deeply traumatic, but it is to your body and your emotions. You know, having writing as a tool, I'm really excited to learn how we can kind of start doing that. So thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah. I love talking about this. And I I know that this year in particular, you gave birth during a pandemic. You have a beautiful baby girl. And um, I'm pregnant now. So I like kind of watching your your content with her. And I know that you shared recently. Well, I'm sure you shared it then, but I didn't know you back then. But you had a really traumatic birthing experience as well. Here's what's funny is I went into the birth going like, whatever happens with the birth, I don't want to call it traumatic because so many women talk about traumatic births. I don't know what I had, like a weird judgment around that, that I didn't want to call it traumatic. But I think what I've come to in the seven months since she was born is that there were definitely pieces of it that were traumatic for me. And it's okay to call it that. We can take the elements in our life that feel traumatic or seem traumatic or are traumatic as we metabolize them, which is I I teach people to use writing as a way to metabolize our life experiences. We can transmute them into something else so that we don't always have to call them traumatic. But yes, there are definitely pieces of my birth experience that felt traumatic. And I know that you're, you've shared publicly on your Instagram, so I hope it's okay to say this, but I mean, your daughter was in the NICU and she, she Mm -hmm. wasn't breathing. And there was, I mean, really, I, I, I'm not there and I could imagine a really traumatizing experience. I'm just curious with all these big changes in your life, you also moved across the country, (laughs) a lot of big changes happening. Has writing allowed you to move out of like a fearful mother state into a present one? Because I imagine when something like that happens, you're just going to like preservation mode and it might be hard to also be present while also, you know it's so scary having a baby and then something happens to the baby immediately. It's hard to then enjoy the beautiful process. 
One thing I think is important to say about the writing process, a part of what makes it so powerful is it helps us move from our higher level executive functioning part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex into our limbic system, which is where trauma lives. It's where our buried ideas and beliefs about our life live. Um, it's the more primal part of our brain. It connects us to our bodies. So it helps us move from that higher part of your brain to the, to the lower part of your brain, which helps you reach into that access point that I was talking about. The dilemma with this is that when something traumatic happens to you, you go into survival mode, which makes it really difficult to access that part of your brain. So writing during a time when you feel like you're focused on your basic survival needs, writing tends to go in the back burner. And that has definitely been true for me during like the maybe month before my daughter was born, maybe two months before she was born. I mean, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. My sister had a massive heart attack. My, my 33-year-old yeah. sister has a massive heart attack and almost dies like out of nowhere. She's never had heart problems in her life. My husband, because of coronavirus, his industry, my husband worked in live events like mm. Comic-Con and South by Southwest. And so his industry like completely disappeared overnight mm. and we lost his income. He had to completely shut down his company. You know, we had to pivot in my business. I'm like eight months pregnant and trying to completely pivot to move everything virtual in my business. And now I'm the only breadwinner in my house and I'm about to have a baby. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm going to give birth to this baby in an alley somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to lose our house. I mean, we we didn't, none of that stuff happened, but scary. The like thoughts that you rehearse in your head. So all that to say, when you're focused on basic survival, the tools like trauma therapy mm -hmm. or writing or yoga or whatever will go out the window because you're focused on basic survival. And when those tools come back to you is usually when you feel like you're back in a sense of relative safety and you're ready to process mm. what took place. So I say that because it feels important that like, I don't want someone to think if they're like in the midst of trying to make ends meet or trying to get dinner on the table or whatever, that they should be writing about their life right this second. But there comes a point when you feel the invitation come to you and you feel invited back into, I want to, I want to better understand mm -hmm. what took place so that that trauma doesn't live memorized in my body as a trauma so that I can metabolize it and decide how I want to tell the story so I can take the story back. I can make it mine and have ownership over it. In the last three months is when I've started doing that. It was really once we landed here in Nashville that I started to feel like, okay, my basic needs are taken care of. We're safe. We're in the new house. Nella's fine. She's safe. She's healthy. I'm healthy. Everybody's going to be okay. And it was like something opened up in me. And that was really when I started the writing practice again. I really appreciate you saying that even, you know, I, I could relate so much to just different seasons of 2020, where I just kind of had to turn really inward and it got icky and ugly and my energy mm. felt so fearful and tense. And in those moments, you're just like, you know, I do all this self work and yet none of them are helpful. Yeah. I'm not going to freaking meditate right now. Like I'm too big, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to move my body or do anything that I know helps me, but I'm not going to do it. But I love that you said like at some point an access point becomes available and you got to be brave enough to take that point and yeah. allow that healing back in. So in your book, you say something about like change being really hard because of our neural pathways in our brain. Do you know what I'm talking about in that chapter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So change can seem really hard because the neural pathways in our brain are deep because they're the memorized habits and behaviors that we have established over our, the decades that we've been here on this planet, carve these neural pathways in our brain that are really deep. So it can feel difficult to make a practical 
single meaningful change in your life. This is like at the beginning of the year when you're making New Year's resolutions and you're like, this is the year I'm going to quit smoking, or this is the year I'm going to get in shape, or this is the year I'm going to change my financial life and finally save some money or whatever. Mm. And year after year, you end up in the same position at the end of the year that you were in the beginning of the year. And it can feel really frustrating. I think a lot of us can get down on ourselves. Like what I'll hear people say to me is like, I'm just not that disciplined. I tried and it didn't work. And I don't think this is a discipline issue for us. I also don't think the change has to be as difficult as we make it out to be. What I think is happening is we're trying to create a change. You know, you've heard the phrase like, you can't make a change from the same mindset that created the problem in the first place, or I don't, I can't remember exactly Mm -hmm. how the quote goes, but actually what's happening in your brain is you can't from your frontal cortex, you can't logic your way to a solution when the behavior lives in your limbic system. Mm. So the behavior is automated. It's like habitual. It lives in your limbic system. It's unconscious. You're not thinking about it. So you can't consciously analyze a way to a solution for a behavior that is unconscious. Mm. Instead, what we have to do is, and this is what I use the writing practice for, um, what you have to do is peel back the layers and try to understand what's the subconscious belief that's creating this emotional environment in my body that's causing me to react or respond in this automated way that's completely um, understandable for any human being would do this. You know, given this emotional environment, any human being would respond this way that's creating this predictable set of circumstances. So, you know, usually what we're focusing on is the predictable set of circumstances. It's either like, you know, I've got 20 pounds to lose or I'm, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I always run out of money or, you know, I just keep reaching for the cigarette, whatever it is. And we don't ever peel back the layers and think like, what is the emotional environment that's creating that behavior? What is the thought process or the idea that I have about the world that might be creating that emotional environment? And the writing process helps us to do that because it helps you access that deeper part of your brain. Is it just simple as I'm struggling with this goal that I never meet? Let me put a pen to paper and write it out. Or I imagine that there are some roadblocks when you get there. Totally. Well, I try to encourage people to follow their instinct and intuition as it relates to the writing process, because I have a lot of prompts that I can teach and I'll teach a prompt. If, if it's okay, Please. I'll teach a yeah. prompt called the infinity prompt. But before I teach that, it, it, feel, it always feels important to say that if the prompt doesn't resonate with you, ditch it. The whole point is to get you to pick up a pen and put it to the paper. And you can just write yourself a little note. You can write one phrase that is bumping around in your head that you're not even sure what it means or what it's for yet. You can scribble something on the back of a cocktail napkin. You can write a letter to somebody that you love, that you you feel like you have something you need to say to them that you haven't been able to say. So there's no right or wrong way to do this. You could write a bullet point list, you know, of things that are going on in your head right now that you just need to get out. And even if I teach a prompt, if you don't know how to get into the prompt or it doesn't feel right for you, then you can ditch the prompt and write whatever's coming up for you. But this infinity prompt I created as a way to help people do this phrase I keep using, metabolize their lives. So this is designed to help you metabolize your life. And it's designed to help you peel back the layers of the onion to get beyond the specific set of circumstances that keeps popping up in your life. So the prompt goes like this. You start with an event from your life that feels charged. Mm. And by charged, I just mean that it has some electricity to it. So it causes some sensation in your body. This could be something huge. It could be like the childhood trauma that I'm talking about from when I was young. It doesn't have to be something that big. In fact, if you're new to this, I would maybe recommend starting with something a little more manageable before you, you know, dive into like the Like someone cut just... you off in a car today. Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. Right. So start with something big or small that feels charged and then start by writing the facts of the situation. So see if you can list out the facts the way you would if you were a reporter or a journalist. So unemotionally, 
unattached. Just see if you can list out what took place first. This is what happened. Then this is what happened after that. This is what happened. And finally, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Those are the prompts that I use to get people started. So that's your first step. Second step is to write the beliefs that you have about this situation and try not to think overthink this. The prompt that I give to get people into this section is the story that I'm telling myself is. So think about the difference in um, like if a guy cuts you off in traffic, for example, maybe the story that you're telling yourself is, you know, nobody respects me. People don't even see that I'm here. I'm just completely invisible. Mm -hmm. What you're telling yourself is that guy must be having a terrible day. (laughs) Notice the difference in like the energy around those stories. Even just understanding the story you're telling yourself about the situation can help you have a better understanding of why you're experiencing this event the way that you are. And then finally, the third piece of this is to record the emotional environment that you're experiencing as it relates to this event. You know, you could even just like Google emotion words and choose a word that feels right for you. There are lists all over the internet of like plenty of different emotion words that you can choose from. But also imagine that, you know, when you have a thought, a neural pathway fires in your brain and it releases a cocktail of chemicals into your body that will feel familiar to you. And we call that emotional environment, anger, or we call it bitterness, or we call it Mm. stress, or we call it frustration or anxiety or whatever it is, more than likely that emotional environment will feel really familiar to you. So see if you can name it. And also as a bonus, see if you can identify other times in your life when you felt this Mm. way. So even the guy who cuts you off in traffic, you'll see how this becomes useful and meaningful to you. Guy cuts you off in traffic, you get like this wave of fury that comes over you. And maybe you identify in your writing practice that the story you're telling yourself is nobody respects you. Nobody respects me. So then this wave of fury and anger comes over me. And I think like, oh my gosh, I have felt this way so many times in my life before. I remember when my ex-boyfriend dumped me and it was so out of nowhere and unexpected. And I felt the same wave of fury come over me. I remember my dad used to treat me like this when I was young too. And you begin to see this pattern unfold itself and you can start to connect the dots and go, oh, I understand that there's a neural pathway. There's a story I've told myself over and over again, that's creating this emotional environment that is causing me to react or respond in a certain way. That's maybe creating more tension and stress in my life than is necessary. Maybe I can let go of the old belief. I can work on creating a new belief to replace it. That will generate a new emotional environment that will help me to start to experience a new reality. I mean, I've already benefited from the infinity prompt. I was taking notes as we did this. I thought of a recent situation where I was charged, to say the least, and thinking Mm -hmm. about my beliefs and then the emotional environment and all the deep-seated things that came before it has really allowed me to very quickly emotionally process, get clarity, and also feel compassion for myself in what I might call overreacting or reacting because I wasn't reacting to the current situation situation. I was reacting to repeated trauma on the cord that got hit and being vague. But I could see how this would help in relationship arguments as well when especially, you know, whether it's a friend or a mother or a sister or a a partner, because oftentimes we feel very like run over by other people because we have the same cycles of talking to people and we react to something that they did three years ago or, you know, not what actually happened. And then once the argument begins, I don't know if this is tangential and maybe it's hopefully helping somebody. (laughs) But once the argument begins, oftentimes with somebody, you're talking about two different things because the person's like, that didn't happen. And you're like, yes, you did, you know, but you're talking about 
the belief yeah. that came from something in the yeah. past, but it's not the fact. And this is why that first step of recording the facts can be so eye-opening and helpful is because a lot of times people will have this sensation, and this is usually me when I'm doing the facts part of this prompt, where I'm like, oh, I actually don't really remember mm. the facts. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember what was said. I remember what I thought was said. I can tell you what I felt, but sometimes as I'm sifting through, I'm like, oh, I'd have to go back and look at the text chain to see if that's what was actually said, or if that's just what I heard, right. or that's the way that I interpreted it. So it can actually help you to like really, you know, self-regulate, like dial back your own emotional response to something by simply just taking you back to the facts of the situation. Wow. That's really powerful. And this is one of the prompts in your new book, correct? Cool. We're Correct. gonna be yes. linking that, of course, in the show notes because I'm, we're all we're all ready to get more of these tools. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education that empowers communities. Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. So you believe that writing is for everybody, and surely we're going to have some listeners here that are like, nope, not for me. I couldn't write a book, let alone an Instagram <laughs> caption. Yeah. What would you say to these individuals that are like, I can't write? Well, so many people say to me that they can't write. They don't know how to write. They don't even want to write. If you don't want to write, if it doesn't seem interesting or intriguing to you at all, then there's not a lot that I can say that's going to change your mind about that. And there are so many other tools out there. It feels like if you just have no interest in writing, it doesn't sound fun to you, then go find something that does sound fun to you that can accomplish the same objective, like yoga or trauma therapy or neural feedback or you know all these other tools that we have at our disposal. I find most people do have a hidden desire to write because it's a very human impulse to want to record our thoughts, our ideas, memories, events from our life, just so that we can see ourselves. It's like looking in a mirror. You can't see yourself if you don't look in a mirror. And we want to be able to look at ourselves and see, see our life reflected back to us. People I meet will say things like, oh, I've always... I've always had this like pipe dream to write a screenplay or, you know, I used to journal all the time, but I quit doing that when I was 20 years old or always wanted to write a book. That would be so fun. Or, or I think it'd be so cool to like write down my story and pass it on to my, my kids or my family or whatever. But the thing that's getting in their way is they tell themselves they're not a real writer. So this is what we have to get people over. We have to deprogram ourselves from thinking that other people are real writers and we're not real writers. And one of the ways that I do this for people is just by reminding them that 
I've worked with some of the biggest writers in the industry who are publishing their books and selling millions of copies and making a full-time living from their writing. And they will say the same thing to me. They will say to me, I got into this by accident. I had a publisher come to me and want me to write my story, but I'm not really a writer. This was just an accident. This was just a, you know, a serendipitous thing that happened in my career that I wrote this book. Even writers who you would read and respect and whose books you have on your shelf and would hold those books close to your heart. Mm-hmm. Many of these writers struggle to self-identify as a writer. So I find that's helpful for people to hear because what it does is it tells you that there's not a group of people who feel like real writers who have been initiated into the club, like the initiation into the creative process is feeling kind of um, small. It's feeling kind of unworthy of the creative process. And yet what could possibly make us more worthy of the creative process than just being a human being living, living in a human body, living this miraculous life. So what's interesting about your trade is you're obviously very known in your industry for teaching people how to write, Mm -hmm. but I feel like most people with your talent would have become a ghostwriter, meaning somebody, as you said, you know, has a great story to tell. They don't feel like they could write it. So they hire you to write their story and put their words into written word. Yeah. How did you develop your trade to teach a skill like this? Well, I've done a bunch of ghostwriting in my life. This is the crazy thing. I've, I've ghostwritten for a bunch of authors. Over the years, what I have found is that an author of a book the person whose name is on the cover can always say something better than I can say it always. <laughs> so even though I'm a gifted writer, I would consider this a talent and a gift that I have, even though I bring that to the table and that can definitely be an asset to the process of producing a product that we're going to put out into the marketplace and have this book be available on shelves, you know, so that can be an asset that I bring to the table. And still you, Lisa, are always going to say things in your own certain way. You're always going to have like a, a particular tone and essence and voice about you that I will never really be able to act accurately capture. Mm. And I'm a huge believer that it's not that I can't assist you, you know, like come in and, and like support you and provide some scaffolding for a product to get finished. If we're talking about creating a book to put on shelves, but at the end of the day, you're the only one who has Lisa's voice. No one else could possibly have your voice. And so if I could help you in that way to own your voice and hone your voice and get your voice on the page, then the finished product is going to be so much stronger. It's going to have a much more transformative impact on a reader at the end of the day. And over time, I just started to think like also, I'm so I was going to say I'm doing a disservice to the author by taking this from them. Because mm-hmm. the other thing that I take from you, if I write your book from you, is the transformative power that the writing practice has on you. Mm-hmm. Because I've done this with thousands of authors over the years. And I'm telling you, when you sit down to write a book to put out into the world, the first person whose life will change is your own. Wow. It is impossible for it not to happen. And the data is really clear on this. Again, I thought in the beginning, I was just pushing my thing on other people. It's like, I love basketball. So everyone should play basketball, you know? And then I found that there's huge bodies of data that show writing has an impact on our, on our biology. Writing can improve your immune system. Yeah. Tell us about that. I saw that in your book and I just needed to know more. So in the age of COVID, (laughs) writing can improve your immune system. Tell us more. Writing has an impact on absolutely every area of our lives. I think it does that by bringing clarity and awareness and by bringing us out of our survival Mm. brain and into a higher level of consciousness. So what's interesting is the data shows a regular practice of writing, which is constituted as 20 minutes a day for four days in a row can 
improve your immune system by close to 50%. So people visited the doctor 43% less often mm-hmm. for upper respiratory infections and flu when they were writing regularly. The data doesn't show why. It doesn't say why that happens. Mm-hmm. So all I can do is speculate Stress and I can tell too. you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from a therapeutic perspective, a therapist would say disclosure is incredibly powerful. That simply the act of disclosing a secret that you feel like you're holding on to mm-hmm can release your body. Your body no longer has to hold on to the secret alone. And now it gets to live someplace else. And writing is a really safe way to disclose what's going on with you. You know, I could disclose to you if we were just having a conversation over coffee, but then I have to worry about how are you going to respond? And are you going to judge me? And are you going to tell my other friends? And, you know, are you going to go behind my back and tell my husband? Or I have to worry about like the ways that you are going to respond to that. Mm. When I tell my truth through writing, I don't have to worry about any of that. Which brings me to my next question is obviously you help authors who want to tell their story publicly and, you know, get it on a shelf and be a best-selling author, which is wonderful. And many people have stories to tell and want that. Other people have stories to tell, or maybe they don't feel like they have stories to tell, but they don't want to ever share it. Yet writing can be therapeutic for them as well, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of writing writing things down, even if you don't ever plan to publish. And in fact, to think that just because someone has a, pro- a profession or a career of writing abdicates them of the responsibility of doing this personal growth work through writing is a fallacy. We all start with writing to understand ourselves. And sometimes that writing grows into something bigger. Every writer who's ever been successful will tell you this. Again, the first person whose life will change when you write your book is yours. Nobody gets to skip that part of the process. You begin writing in order to see yourself more clearly, understand yourself more clearly, to organize your ideas. You know, I call this like taking back your life from you get to decide how you want to express this thing or say this thing or remember this thing. And you start there. And sometimes you find as you're writing that there's something valuable in there that can be shared with somebody else. My favorite book that I've ever written is my second book. It's called Indestructible. It's not the book that's performed the best in the marketplace, but it's my favorite book because it healed me. Hmm. I wrote the book as I was leaving an abusive relationship, going through a divorce. And I truly believe that book saved my life. I don't know how I would have made it through that time in my life without writing my story. What it gave me to write my story was it changed the way that I saw myself inside of it. When I was leaving the relationship, I felt like so small. I felt like really weak. I felt like I had been taken, I mean, I had been betrayed and taken advantage of, and I felt like there's no way that I was ever going to overcome this. And when I wrote the story on the page, I was like, oh my God, this woman is remarkable. Incredible. Like she lived through- total hell and came out the other side stronger. Like I want to be her friend, you know? And that was so invaluable for me to see myself that way. When I just made the decision to publish the book, I was like, I'm only going to put this out here in the world if I really feel like it can have an impact on other people. And what the impact that I wanted it to have is I wanted it to do for other women, what it had done for me, where they could see themselves as the hero of their own story and realize that they had choices that they didn't see that they had before. Even though the book hasn't performed in the market as well as my other books have, when I get emails, they always say that. It always says, this book helped me to leave. This book changed the way that well, I saw myself. Well, perform means sales in your world, I assume. Dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Books <laughs> books sold. No, I know. It's just interesting because it's a marker where I'm sure, you know, like the power of writing it down. Is it a bestseller already? Or it's going to be? It, on Amazon, it's a bestseller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And yeah. a lot of times people buy things aspirationally. Like, oh, I want to be yeah. a writer. Let me buy this book. And it kind of, you know, a lot of times we tuck the book away. Not your book, but I've bought yeah. many aspirational books that will teach me how to do something. But 
But sure. when you read a book like Indestructible, it's the kind of book that a person sees themselves in it. It's like a very deep impact. So even though the performance, yes. you know, isn't, I don't know, I'll compare it to like my life on Instagram, I guess, where it's like, <laughs> I might not reach millions of people, but the yeah. handful of people that I reach and have an impact on is really valuable. And it's kind of stinks yeah. that you have to be chalked up to that performance angle. To continue the Instagram comparison, you might post something on Instagram that goes viral or like mini viral and, you know, gets thousands and thousands and thousands of views. And you might post something that doesn't get as much attention or doesn't attract as much energy around it, but that really has an impact on the few people who read it. And, you know, to ask ourselves like, which is more valuable is an impossible question to answer. Depends on what you're measuring it by. And you posted something that I have here that I wanted to bring up and it's actually a perfect time to bring it up. One of the things that I've been seeing a lot on TikTok, I don't know if you use TikTok, it's very interesting, (laughs) but on TikTok and Instagram, one of the, the like things that gets thrown my way is how to grow your Instagram. And Mm. these content creators tell people how to grow their following based on what their audience wants, et cetera. And having been in this Instagram influencer world for far longer than I don't even, I didn't even mean to get here. I can tell (laughs) you everybody that there's no happiness in catering to the needs of other people as a creator. Anyway, then this has been like circling my mind and you write this just a few days ago, Fellow writers, don't make your goal to write a bestseller. Write what God wills. If it ends up a bestseller, so be it. But if you make it your goal, you will cater to the whims of a fickle audience that could change its preferences before your book even releases. Write true. Sorry, that is Beth Moore who you you quoted. But that there is like yeah. mic drop. I feel like that's my life's work. You know, my company is called Find Your Voice because a lot of times in the publishing industry, people get the advice, especially new authors will get the advice from publishers to grow their platform. And so people will email me and other authors talk about this all the time too. Other really talented, gifted authors who have sold a lot of books will say like people email me and they ask me, how am I supposed to grow my platform? And I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to tell them. And people get really fixated on this idea about growing their platform. It makes sense. First of all, I have compassion for this because of course, all of us have had this thought, like if only I had more Instagram followers, I could have these opportunities or doors that open for me. It's not like we're crazy for wanting this, but I think it's like cotton candy. It's like the invisible mist that we could chase forever. When the fact of the matter is, if you grow your message, your platform will grow in the way that it's supposed to. If you grow your voice, your audience will grow in the way that it's supposed to. I think this idea of platform has gotten us really twisted up thinking that we're supposed to be standing on the soapbox, teaching other people about how they should live their life. When the fact of the matter is like the people who have a lot of people tuning in and paying attention, most of them are have people tuning in and paying attention because they have learned how to inspire themselves, how to live in the fullness of who they are in the world. And other people are like, I want more of that. So what a twisted thing to think. I can learn a set of rules or a formula or the algorithm and I can do things in the perfect way. And all these people will pay attention to me. And my question for you is, if you want that is, what are you going to say when they're paying attention to you? Wow. (laughs) If you don't know the answer to that, then why the heck are you trying to 
grow your audience. It's exactly. And it's the backwards approach to everything. So for if you're going to write a book, don't think about what would sell. Start with what you have to say and that yes. will sell. I think it just like completely mirrored the thoughts in my head and the fears of what I see happening in this world and the self-worth that's being tied up to nonsense. Yes. And this agreed. illusion that we're chasing that if I, you know, come up with this book title, then everybody will buy it and then I will be blah, blah, blah. But one one of the authors I work with said to me the other day, he said, someone else will always sell more books Mm -hmm. than you. He was asking me how my book was selling. And I was just like, well, well, you know, like, you know, talking shop. If you're, I think you're getting at this. Like if you're tying your self-worth to a number, Mm -hmm. I've got to have a million followers. I've got to have a hundred thousand followers. I've got to have, someone else will always have more than you. And you could always have more than you have even. So it's like, what are we, what are we fighting? You know, it's the elevator to nowhere. (laughs) It's like (laughs) endless. It's an endless game. So that's why I think like even your book that healed you, I, I can't wait to get my hands on that even more than this book because I want to, yeah. I love an emotional story. I love a, yeah. you know, that's what I connect to. So I'm so, I want all of your books, I guess I should say. <laughs> I'll send you a copy of Indestructible. In your, okay, your thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you all the review on the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one more post that you shared that I, I would like to just share with everybody. And this one is from you, not a quote of someone else. And you said, why write your story? When you write your story, you take back your life from your past, from your family, from the critical voices in your head, from advertising and media, from toxic politics, from distractions and doubt. Write your story and take back what was always yours. And that Mm. right there is why you've been an amazing guest on The Truthiest Life, because whether you're writing in your journal and nobody will see it, or you're writing an Instagram caption, or you're writing an article or a book, you're going to heal yourself and take your power back. And that's where it all, I think, starts. If I I understand everything that you've put out into this world correctly. (laughs) You said it. Amen. Thank you so much for today and all of your wisdom. Can't wait to have all of my listeners check out your book and get their writing practice going and start to disrupt those beliefs that, oh, it's just not for me. Yes. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. And we'll chat with you real soon. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.